Amen. If you haven't done so, take your Bible and turn to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. As you're turning there, just a quick, a quick note. In the last week or so, I've been able to read a little bit and reflect and do a little research as our vacation time allowed in Psalm 55 and prepare for the study this evening. I have taught on this psalm, and I absolutely love this psalm. And maybe you're familiar with it, and if so, I hope that it will be a refreshment to you. If you're looking at Psalm 55 and it's sort of new and maybe you haven't read it for a while, I hope that it will become a new favorite to you. Um, It's very practical. It's very down to earth. And I titled the sermon, Cast Your Burden on the Lord. Maybe you can agree with this statement that treachery and betrayal are the worst of pains in the human heart. Have you experienced that? Have you been in that dark place of being betrayed and having someone that you knew and loved and cared for and that you thought was a trusted friend turn their back on you and betray you? I remember it was years ago, I was sitting in one of my favorite hamburger restaurants with a Christ Fellowship Bible Church member. They have since moved away and they're out of the country now. I remember sitting over lunch with them, eating our hamburgers, and this brother was utterly discouraged. He was dejected. We, we were talking about how he had been betrayed in his workplace. He had been mistreated. He had been maligned. He had been horribly, horribly treated in his work environment. And I remember sitting there across the table and hearing him just sort of pour out his heart and, and just give me the gushing details of how he felt so betrayed by someone that he trusted in. That week, I was preaching Psalm 55 seven or eight years ago. I remember turning to Psalm 55 with him in our Bibles, and we read this psalm, and we read over the final couple of verses especially, and, and, the, and the sad face of the brother was lifted up, and the discouragement was replaced with a hope in the Lord. I remember reading and pondering with him verse 22. You see it there in Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. You know, many afflictions there are that can pierce us, right? I mean, there's many afflictions. We, we could have situational afflictions, financial afflictions, employment afflictions, all kinds of uncertainties of life. But, but I wonder if this is the truth, that there is no affliction that pierces so deep as relational betrayals, interpersonal betrayals. When someone that you rely on is treacherous towards you. I want you to hear this. These tragic but yet real situations, they're painful. They're real. They're difficult. They cut deep and they wound the hearts of God's people. But yet, as we begin, just by way of introduction, I want you to hear something at the very get-go. Somebody can relate to you, and his name is Christ. 
Jesus can relate. He has gone through the pains. He has gone through the heartache. He has gone through the distress of having a betrayer. He had his Judas. Jesus was betrayed so that you could be brought in. Really, what, what is it that on that night in which Jesus was betrayed really started the ball to roll full steam toward the cross? It was the betrayal of the Son of God by Judas to the authorities. Jesus was betrayed so he would go to the cross and you would be redeemed and you could be forgiven. And he could make atonement for your sins. And you could be brought into the family of God. Jesus was betrayed, which led to the cross. And it is there at the cross where your redemption was accomplished. Where God poured out his wrath upon Christ. And Jesus drank the full cup in love and in patient endurance, trusting the Father. And he said, it is finished. And if you trust in him and look to him, he's your savior. He's your Lord. He's your king and your Messiah. Psalm 55 is about that topic of betrayal. And I love the Bible because it's so down to earth. I mean, who would want to think about this topic? Who would want to write about this topic? Who would want to write a song, a hymn about this topic? There's not many on the radio that are about this. But yet God in his amazing goodness, has given us and inspired him so that we can know how to act in a God-honoring way when the betrayals occur in our lives. If you look at the title, Psalm 55 begins at the title, a maskeel of David. The word maskeel is that Hebrew word. It is a song that is meant to give you wisdom. It is meant to give you skill for life, meaning this is not just a piece of poetry to inform your intellect. It is given by God to affect the way that you and I live our lives. It's written by David at some point in his life when he had a wounding betrayal. Verses 13 and 14 will tell us that he had a close friend that he used to worship together in the house of God, betray him. And then the end of the psalm, it's really the heading of Psalm 56, but it's the conclusion of Psalm 55, for the choir director, meaning it's to be sung in worship. And then there's a tune of Jonath Elem Rehokim, the English Bible translators just left the Hebrew transliteration. It translated is to the tune of for the dove of the distant oaks. We might say we're going to sing the song to the tune of amazing grace, something like that. So this was a tune that they all knew. And guess what? Not only can Christ relate to this, but God, the Father, can relate to this. Psalm 78, 57, God says of Israel, they turned their back on me and my people acted treacherously against me. Jeremiah 3, verse 20, God said, you have dealt treacherously with me. God can look at you and I in the eye tonight, and if you've been betrayed, God the Father can say, I've been there. I know what it's like. 
I understand exactly what you're going through. So what do we do? How do we plan? How do we prepare? How are we to act? How are we to respond when the betrayal, when the treachery happens? How do we respond in a God-honoring way? As we walk through this psalm together, there are so many details, and I'd love to just dive into all of them with you, but I want to give you three simple headings that I hope will be helpful, sort of a little game plan. Maybe you can jot down the outline in your Bible or in a, in a note there somewhere, and you can bear this in mind when you need it in the future. Number one, when the betrayal and the times of difficulty come, number one in your outline, in your anguish, call upon God. Verses one to eight. Verse one, give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I am distracted. Can you relate to verse 2? I'm, I'm restless. I'm distracted. Lord, I, I, I just can't focus. I, just, I, I feel like my mind is just shifting to all of the details of this troubling situation. Verse 3, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they are bearing a grudge against me. Verses 1 to 3 are urgent, desperate prayers to God. What I love about how God gives us this psalm, it's a proactive plan for the pain of betrayal. I mean, nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to have the situation happen, but God recognizes that in the fallen world that we live in and with the sinful hearts that we as sinners do have, betrayal happens. What's, what's a plan? How, how, how do we respond well? Let me give you some simple points of reality that you need to remember. Number one, you're not alone when this happens. You're not alone. God wants you to know you're not alone. You can always go to him in prayer. You can also know, second of all, that God is not unaware. He's not unaware of your situation. God is not unconcerned. He's not unaware. He's very aware. Third, I want you to know that Scripture gives help. It gives help and guidance in these difficult times. I think also what we need to know forth, let God handle the betrayer. Don't take matters into your own hands, but let God handle the betrayer. And you can confide in your God fully. I mean, he prays to God and he's desperate. He's, he's asking God to hear him. And then verses four to eight is sort of the knee-jerk reaction that I think we can all relate to. I just want to flee and get out of here. Let, let me just get a new situation, a new place in life. Let me just leave and go far, far away. Verse four. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. 
I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. I mean, I can relate to that. Can you? When a difficulty like a betrayal would happen, let me just, let me just flee and get away from here. Let me just get, a, get out of the situation. And if that's our knee-jerk reaction, there were spiritual giants in the Bible that can relate. Elijah did that. In fact, Elijah, in a time of betrayal, actually got up and he fled far to the north, and he ran away, 1 Kings 19. Jeremiah thought about running away, Jeremiah 9 and 10, but he didn't. He persevered. In verses 4 to 8, it's like the psalmist is just piling up word upon word upon word for fear and anguish in almost a literary manner so as to say, I am so much in fearful anguish, I can't express it enough. He is completely overwhelmed with crippling fear. Now, the lesson in this first point is this. When the difficult times like this come, you run to God in prayer. You run to God in prayer. Not running away, not finding a new situation, a new place, a new location, but running directly to the open arms of our God in prayer. But David then continues in verses 9 and following. In a time of betrayal, look in your outline, number two, in your anger, cry for vindication. Now, verse 9 and 15 are prayers. They kind of form a little bit of of an envelope, a little bookend, a bracket structure at the beginning and conclusion of this section. David is praying to God as Israel's king, and he says, I want deliverance. I want vindication. And he uses language from two Old Testament accounts. Babel and the opening of the earth when it swallowed Korah in the book of Numbers. Look at verse Nine. David prays in verse 9, O Lord, divide, confuse, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I have seen their violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around upon the walls, and iniquity and mischief are in their midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from her streets. Verse 9, confuse their languages. That's Genesis 11. That's judgment upon the wicked. David is saying, God, I want, you to, I want you to judge my enemies now like you did with the enemies then at the Tower of Babel. And then he says that they are those who have reproached. They are full of iniquity. They are full of mischief. David wants them in verse 15 to go down alive into the grave. Remember in the book of Numbers when God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and and all of his family? Well, David is saying, I want you to judge my enemies now just like you did back then when you swallowed the rebels then. Lord, do justice. Now, By the way, can we ever pray this? I mean, isn't that kind of a mean prayer? God judge my enemies? 
Well, it would be wrong and sinful if it's self-motivated. But because David, as the king of Israel, is praying with a God-oriented perspective. God, your name has been defamed. God, they are going against your anointed king of your covenant people. You should rise up and take care of them. It makes this prayer appropriate. But it gets worse. I mean, it's not, just a, it's not just people who are rebels. Look at verse 12. It's not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. I mean, if, if it's just somebody from the government, or if it's a pagan down the road, or if it's a, an unbeliever and they're after me, I can handle that. But verse 13, but it's you. It's a man, my equal. My companion and my familiar friend. Verse 14. We who had sweet fellowship together, we walked in the house of God in the throng or in the multitude. Let death come upon them. Let them go down alive into Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. What makes this so gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching is that David has revealed that he's been betrayed by a trusted ally. I mean, somebody that he confided in has turned their back on him. We used to go to worship together and you've turned against me. You were my familiar friend. You're my companion. You were like my best friend. Now, we don't know who this was in David's life. Could have been. Joab, a servant and helper in David's kingdom, could have been Ahithophel, who was a counselor of David, but then he turned against David and sided with Absalom. It could be Absalom, David's own son, who later chased him and searched for his own life to kill his own father. We don't know exactly which it was. But I wish I could tell you this was uncommon. But you don't have to read the Bible very long before you find treachery and betrayal. Genesis 3, Satan betrayed Eve. Next chapter, Genesis 4, Cain betrayed Abel. And then a little bit later on in Genesis, Joseph's brothers betray him and they sell him off into slavery. Later in biblical history, David himself, even in his own life, betrayed Uriah after he committed adultery with his wife. Sometimes a close, trusted friend can become a worst enemy. It reminds me of the accounts, no doubt you're aware, of William Tyndale and his biography. William Tyndale was betrayed by one of his dear friends, a man named Henry Phillips, Henry Phillips betrayed Tyndale and turned his back on Tyndale and gave him to the authorities where Tyndale would then be imprisoned for the last 15 months of his life and then, and then martyred. God, God says in Psalm 5 verse 6, the Lord abhors a man of treachery. Psalm 25, verse 3, those who deal treacherously will be thwarted and humiliated. In Matthew 26, verse 4, the Jewish leaders conspired to arrest Jesus by treachery, and and 
Acts 1.18, talks about Judas. Judas, who was treacherous. I find it intriguing, don't you, that most of the time Judas is mentioned in the Gospels, there's usually a little phrase describing him. The betrayer. The betrayer. The betrayer. He's the traitor. I mean, the legacy that Judas has right now and forever, as he right now resides in hell, is that Judas is the betrayer. He's the betrayer. I mean, think of this with me. He, Judas was a, he was a trusted friend of Jesus. Judas was a, a trusted confidant. He, he did ministry with Jesus. Jesus called Judas into service. Jesus empowered and sent and commissioned Judas as an apostle. Judas even preached the gospel. He did miracles. He traveled. He heard all the sermons that Jesus preached. He saw the miracles that Jesus performed. And all the other disciples thought that Judas was the real deal. They thought he was a real follower. And yet Jesus had his Judas. What do you do when this happens? Well, we have to go to God. We have to call upon God. Second of all, in your anger, when this happens, you cry out to God for vindication. God, you deal with them. And then third, in your outline, look at this. In assurance and in hope and in comfort, you can cast your burden upon the Lord. You know, in verses 16 and following, the whole psalm changes. The whole tone of the psalm changes. Look at the first phrase of verse 16. As for me. Here's what I'm going to resolve to do. I shall call upon God. You know what's kind of cool? In the original Hebrew, every letter of the beginning of verse 16 begins with the same, it'd be like our letter A, to make it memorable. As for me. I will call upon God. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to slander my betrayer. I'm not going to harbor bitterness. I'm not going to react emotionally. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. We're tempted to do all those things. I will call upon God. There was a Puritan who said prayer is the universal medicine for all the disorders of the soul within. The universal medicine. What's the medicine for the soul of all of the disorders within? What's the medicine? Prayer. It's prayer. Well, as for me, I'm going to call upon God. Verse 17, evening and morning and noon, I will complain and Murmur and God will hear my voice. A wonderful example of three set times of prayer a day. I'm going to pray to God in the early morning. I'm going to pray to God in the evening. And I'm going to pray to God at noontime. Verse 18, I know God will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. 
for they are many who strive with me. And then look at verse 19. It's almost as if there's a self-counsel that goes on because right in the middle of the psalm, there's this theology lesson on the character of God. Look at verse 19. God will hear and he will answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old. You know what? What is he doing? He's reminding himself, my God is sovereign. He sits enthroned. Second, he sits enthroned from of old or from eternity. My God is eternal. My God is sovereign. My God is eternal. Next phrase in verse 19, with whom there is no change. He's immutable. He doesn't change. My God is sovereign. My God is eternal. My God is immutable. And then David adds, Selah, think, ponder. The character of God changes everything. It reorients our perspective off of our troubling circumstances and onto a sovereign God who is in control of the circumstances. Contemplate and reflect on the character of God. You can trust God because he's in control. You can trust God because he's sovereign. You can trust God because he's eternal. You can trust God because he'll never, ever, ever change. You can trust this God. Well, verse 22, look at how the psalm ends. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. In our English Bibles, most of our English translations have the word burden. Cast your burden upon the Lord. The Hebrew word actually isn't best translated burden. You want to hear what the Hebrew word means? Cast what God has given to you. God is in control. God has allotted this for you in your life. God is in control of this circumstance. God has called you to, to bear this and to pray to him to cast your burdens, what God has given upon him in prayer. Now, David, okay, David was betrayed by a close friend, but maybe for you and me, maybe it's not exactly that situation. Maybe your burden, or maybe your, your anxiety, or maybe your distressing moment, or maybe that which is given by God is a little bit different. Whatever it is weighing you down is given by God. It's given by God by the hand of a loving father into your life. Cast your anxieties upon the Lord. Cast your burden upon the Lord. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5 quotes this. Casting all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. David says to cast all of our burdens on the Lord, not some of them, not the big ones, but every one of the burdens that God has brought into our life. He wants all of them, give them to God. And do you see the promise? He'll sustain you. 
Do you see in verse 22 at the end, he will not allow you to be shaken? Verse 23, God will bring down the wicked to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days. But then there's the final result. I've got to trust in the Lord. It's an amazing psalm. Really a heart-wrenching psalm. But yet God is so good to give us a plan like this so that when the difficulties come, we can know how to respond in a godly way. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll draw this to a close by looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. So what's a plan for tough times? What what is a game plan for the tough, difficult times? When God brings those allotted difficulties into your life in love from a sovereign father, what's the game plan to respond well? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, we must be diligent in holiness. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. When the tough times come, and you read the context of chapter 3, it's, it's the mockers who are mocking you. Oh, you say Jesus is coming back. Where is this Jesus? He hasn't, he hasn't returned yet. It's been a few thousand years, but he hasn't returned. When you're being mocked, Be diligent to walk in holiness. Well, then what do you do? uh, Verses 15 and 16, we must be students of Scripture. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, verse 15. As our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote you, as in all the letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. So we don't want to distort God's Word. Rather, we want to study it and follow it and know it rightly. So we want to be holy. We want to be a student of the word. Third, we must be aware of falsehoods. Look at verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Be aware of the falsehoods that are out there, and there's many of them. And finally, we have to grow in our love for Christ. Verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. This is a plan for battling the difficulties of life. We fight for holiness. We, we, we persevere in our study of the word. We are on guard against falsehoods and we grow in our knowledge and our love of the Lord. But now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. This is, this is my real conclusion. 1 Corinthians 11. You know, in God's good design for the church... We are called to regularly remember the gospel in what God gives us as the ordinances, right? Baptism and communion. 
Did you know that communion, which we'll have this upcoming weekend, communion is in the setting of betrayal? You realize that? If we look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it's this wonderful passage on the Lord's Supper. Paul says in verse 23, I receive from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. I mean, the night in which he was betrayed, that's the Last Supper. Jesus gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said to them, this is my body, which is for you. I love that. This is my body, which is for you, and my blood, which is for you. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is in the context, when it was inaugurated here, the context of betrayal. What do we do? How do we prepare for these difficult seasons of betrayal? What is the best way to prepare? I think one way that can be so helpful is for us to enjoy and partake in and prepare for the ordinances. Taking communion is a means to grow and strengthen and fortify God's people in holy living. It prepares us for trials. It it helps us persevere through hardships as we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And we remember, I believed in Jesus, but I need to keep believing in him. If you've not done this, you need to put your faith in the Lord Jesus the one who was betrayed, the one who was treacherously treated. But he went to Calvary and he took our sin and our blame and God's wrath in our place. As we take, even this Sunday, as we take the Lord's Supper, we gaze upon Christ. We reflect on the spotless lamb who was betrayed. And he was betrayed. And he went to the cross and he endured all the sufferings of it so you and I could be forgiven. We need to remember that. We need to hope in that and trust in him. Difficult times, no doubt. Betrayal is. God doesn't say it's an easy thing. But Christ has been there. He's been there. We have a great forerunner that we can look to. And a hope that we can have as an anchor for the soul. So let's pray. And then we'll pray together. Father, thank you that we can come to you. In the study of the word, you have spoken clearly through the word of God. You have told us to cast all of our burdens, all of our anxieties, all that you have allotted to us in our lives. We are to cast these burdens upon you in prayer. You care for us. Lord, please forgive us for the times when we have not cast our burdens upon you. Forgive us for the times when we have not gone directly to you in prayer. Oh, Lord, forgive us for the times when we have tried to handle it on our own. We pray, oh, Lord, that you would graciously refocus our hearts and our minds upon Christ our Savior, who was betrayed and forsaken 
and crucified and died and buried and then was raised to new life so that we might have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray.